You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams you'll learn how to navigate the global shift of consciousness and explore the deeper knowledge within. Welcome home. Now here's your host, Dr. Kelly Neff. Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Kelly Neff, and you are listening to Lucid Planet Radio here on Transformation Talk Radio. Stay with us for the next hour and let us help you experience healing, inspiration, and creativity. We will bring you on this show some of the most amazing speakers and authors helping you to become the greatest version of yourself. And you can find out more at thelucidplanet.com and stream all our podcasts on lucidplanetradio.com, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, etc. And connect with me on Facebook and Twitter at The Lucid Planet. Um, also, as well as uh, Instagram. Uh, just reminding you, we are still the first Wednesday of every month at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And I know I have been teasing you guys about my new show, Slut Logic, which is all about empowering sexuality and exploring sex and love in the future. And that show is coming down the pipeline, so stay tuned. Now, for today, you know, it's it's we just had Labor Day weekend. It's the end of the summer, and you know what that means. Back to school, shorter days pumpkin spice. <laughs> and um, for some of us, slipping back into unhealthy eating patterns or, you know, giving up our workout regimes and um, just kind of like becoming stagnant. And that, that happens to me sometimes in the fall and winter. So today's show is really about something that can nourish your body this fall and really all year long, but also nourish your mind and your spirit. And of course, we're going to be talking about yoga. But if you think yoga is just about like doing an hour of working out and child's pose and downward dog and, you know, headstands, then you're really missing out on much, much more about yoga. And I'm really excited today to introduce Cindy Warren, who has a brand new book out called Radiate, Using the Practice of Yoga to Cultivate Your Inner Shine. And what she has done in this book is she has gone through and kind of updated and translated the Sanskrit, originally Sanskrit yoga sutras for us to understand today. And so we're going to talk about more of the spiritual roots of yoga and the eight limbs of yoga and how you can use them to not only enhance your body through yoga, but also your mind. Um, Cindy's a lawyer by trade, but she is a yoga teacher by passion, and she wants to make the entire system of yoga accessible to individuals who are looking for more satisfying and rewarding lives. So this is really interesting to me, and I'm delighted to welcome Cindy to the show. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Dr. Kelly. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm really curious to hear your story uh, because, you know, yogi lawyer is not a combination maybe one typically <laughs> comes across. Um, how did this start? When did you start practicing yoga? About 15 or 16 years ago. And I was well into the, I graduated from law school in 96, I believe it was. So I was well into my career as a lawyer. And I've always been someone who loves working out and um, true confession, in the 80s and 90s, I taught step aerobics. Oh, my gosh. Did you wear a leotard and leg warmers? I'm so embarrassed. I, not the leg warmers, but I did own a few leotards. It's quite embarrassing. Um, That's back in now, so it's cool. We're not judging you. Okay, cool again. Awesome. So I first came to yoga because I kept hearing about what a great workout it is. Absolutely. And it is. That is true. But I quickly became almost addicted to how I felt during and even more importantly, after yoga, mm. I just felt not just calm, but also energized. I felt more yes. clear headed. I felt more kind and loving towards myself and others. And I started to think to myself, well, there's something more here than just what we're doing physically as we move from pose to pose. Absolutely. So is that kind of what made you look into it more deeply? Or when did that happen? When did you become a teacher? 
not for well over a decade into practicing. I really was just a kind of a voracious student of the practice for many years, loved to read about yoga as well as meditation and the underlying philosophies, um, practiced a lot, studied a lot, and then eventually decided to do a teacher training, my initial teacher training, really only as a way to go deeper into my own practice. Because even after a decade plus of practicing and studying, I knew there was so much more to learn. Absolutely. It's kind of amazing how deep the history really goes when you're looking at thousands of years worth of tradition. Where do you even begin with trying to kind of understand how to deepen your practice? I think it's really important to have a skilled teacher and or a well laid out book that you can read. So for me, it was definitely a combination of the two. There are also, not only is the history so long, it's very varied. There are so many lineages and traditions. And so the word yoga can mean so many different things. And yes. you know, I've really laid out only one aspect of yoga in my book, which is the eight limb path laid out in the ancient tome, the Yoga Sutras. Um, but there are other lineages as well. To me, this is the most relevant and the most accessible. And I think having skilled teachers, like the importance of that cannot be overstated. So is that what motivated you to do the teacher training? Yes. And I really didn't even think I was going to end up teaching yoga because I have a busy life as a lawyer and etc. What do your law colleagues think of this? They think it's awesome. They're like, can you teach us how to meditate? Do you do a little lunchtime break for them? You know, like I do, do some- sometimes. I do. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. You're on the yeah. front lines, you know. Right. <laughs> front exactly. lines for change. So you so you you became very passionate about it. You decided you wanted to teach it. You realized the importance of teaching it. And then that led you to wanting to write this book about the ancient yoga sutras. Why those sutras in particular? I use the sutras as and the eight limb path laid out in them as my own guide for my own personal and spiritual journey. And I see how much they have impacted my life in such a positive and meaningful way. And I continued to be struck by how few students and even fellow teachers knew about the philosophy of yoga. So you can spend your entire life practicing and or studying and or teaching just asana, which is the physical practice of yoga. But that's only one of eight limbs. So I really try and in my own classes, sprinkle in the deeper teachings because what makes yoga special is not just what happens in the classroom or on the yoga mat, but how we take that into our lives. And I wanted to find a way to have a bigger reach to to spread that message. I think that's really really awesome because for me at least that's been one of my biggest struggles lately when I go to classes particularly out here in Colorado like in Boulder and in Denver it's like a fitness cult sometimes yeah right and everyone is it's a I mean well first of all it's a billion multi-billion dollar industry now which is strange if you think about it because this is something that's been kind of freely given to the people who wanted to learn it. So what are your thoughts on that? How yoga has been kind of conceived in the West? Um, Is this a natural progression of what happens when these ideas from the East are introduced into Western philosophy? Or is this just, you know, people's natural inclination to want to be, you know, competitive and work out hard against each other (laughs) and have the right Lululemon clothes and, you know, all that? Like, what you must have some interesting thoughts on that. That's such a great and loaded question. I do. (laughs) It is. Sorry. Translate a tradition from as yoga has been, as you said, from east to west. There's going to be some change, some morphing, and that's okay because you want to accommodate the culture you're in. However, do I think that yoga has become over commercialized and over westernized? Absolutely. So a lot of the spiritual underpinnings of it have been lost for most practitioners, not all. And there are yoga teachers and there are yoga studios out there that are very focused on what is truly yoga and how you can apply this ancient philosophy and practice into your lives today and how, and why, why should you to be of service, to make the world a better place, etc. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that those of us who are very passionate about spreading the deeper parts of yoga run up against a lot because what we see on social media is the glamorization of (laughs) hitting a beautiful posture, even if 
you're not a kind person. Like it's an inward journey as much as it's about more than it's about postural prowess. I and love that. yeah, I love media that. doesn't capture that so well. No, you know, and every everything's for sale nowadays in the age of information. You know, it's everything is for and, and there's a lot of doing that, like, I want the perfect headstand so I can show it off and let everybody know I have the perfect headstand. When right. really, it has nothing to do with really, the point of all this is to make you more balanced inside. That headstand is reflecting your own inner balance. It's kind of that's, how I like to see it. Oh, that's so well said. I love oh, that. Oh, thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask you, before we get into the nuts and bolts of Radiate, those, these eight paths, or the eight legs, if you will, um, ha- do you have an affinity for a certain school of yoga in the sense of, you know, whether it's Iyengar or Bikram or hot yoga or whatever? And have you ever gone traveling to places to kind of learn more about the specific way that they do it, where it had originated, like in India? So I've not been to India, although I have studied with a lot of teachers who have studied with India mm-hmm. or in India with different um, gurus and such. So there's not one lineage that I am drawn to. I I personally have a distaste for Bikram, to be honest, but I think well, especially every, after all the all the you know everything yes. that went down. Yeah, I'm an yeah. employment lawyer, and I ex- my expertise is sexual harassment. So yeah, that oh, was wow. a little challenging for me. <laughs> yeah, and what did that do to the? I mean, that must have had ripples through the yoga communities as well. I think it had a huge ripple through the Bikram community. Yeah, but that's not a community I've ever been immersed in because I don't actually care for that physical practice mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. I don't like the intense heat and the long, long held poses and the locking out the joints. I, it's just not my preferred style yeah. of yoga, but yeah. I think, you know, ever, like you mentioned, Iyengar, he's yeah. contributed, he contributed so much to the world of yoga. There are so many amazing, um, originators of the practice or people that first brought it to the West after yeah. studying with, you know, people who more on the front lines in India, my, what I teach is like a vinyasa style alignment based physical practice. And personally, I still love a good, hot, powerful flow, not 105 mm-hmm. degrees hot, but more like mid I like 90 degrees. Yeah. That's yeah, about as that's high perfect. as I'll go. Oh, I'm not going higher than 90. I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, But I think yoga, the physical practice of yoga, there are so many manifestations of it that whatever anyone's looking for, whether it's yoga in a chair or yoga, you know, on ropes or yoga on swings, there are so many varieties of yoga there. And I think that's a good thing. There's something in the physical practice there for everyone. I think, and I, that's why I asked that question, because I think what you're getting at is it's not about ascribing to one dogma or one version and just like completely obsessing about it. Like everybody, there's room for everybody in this. And that's one of the things that's so great about yoga is it is inclusive. And I think by returning to the spiritual nature of it, it kind of brings us back away from that fierce competitive fitness regime back into kind of a collective thing that we can all use to better ourselves. And that's, yes, well said, that's definitely the goal. Now you can bring all of your worst tendencies to the yoga mat, like competitiveness, (laughs) judgment, all that impatience, Mm -hmm. reactivity. And what you do is if you practice those on the mat, you'll just strengthen those. So you'll walk out of the studio with more of that. Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah. It's not real. I mean, maybe that's what some people are going for, but that's not real yoga. No, no. Well, we're going to take a quick break um, here. And when we come back, Cindy Warren is going to talk with us about the eight spiritual limbs of yoga based on the ancient yoga sutras and we're going to get deeper into this topic and i'm really excited to hear about it so stay with us and we'll be right back after the break here on lucid planet radio stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back learn how to speak your truth to power with host dr kathy obear Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. 
Are you done being afraid to jump into the life that's waiting for you? Are you ready for a real shift? I invite you to tune in every Tuesday with me, Tracy L, on the Tracy L Clark Show, where we will teach you how to live your extraordinary life. At 8 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio, where I will provide the tools and the steps needed to help you transcend perceived limitations and move forward with an extraordinary life. For more information, visit me at tracylclark.com. Living Lighter Radio with Jason and Patricia. We have an ecosystem approach to your life. Tune in weekly every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio as we, Jason and Patricia, discuss what's truly holding you back. We offer you the tools you need to reach your goals and at the same time be living lighter. For more information about Living Lighter, visit www.livinglighter.org. Calling all moms. It's time to awaken your vibrant, intuitive, and loving self in every area of your life. Join host Debbie Pokornik as she shares thoughts, stories, and tools to help you stand in your power at work, home, and play. Listen to Vibrant Powerful Moms, helping everyday women create extraordinary lives every Monday at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. For more information about Debbie, visit VibrantPowerfulMoms.com. Do you want the knowledge and wisdom to understand where spirituality, science, and psychology intersect? Then join the Karmic Path Radio Show with Tina and Laura on TransformationTalkRadio.com, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. Follow this charmingly, disarmingly dynamic duo as they explore how psychic ability, spirituality, and karmic law tie together. For more information on Tina, Laura, and their groundbreaking work, visit TheKarmicPath.com. Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and join Sarah on an adventurous journey to the deeper level of meaning to move beyond today's world of constant change, confusion, and uncertainty beyond the shadow of fear. This hit show explores key concepts such as confidence, values, and attitude in a dynamic way. To learn more about Sarah and her work, visit sarahmain.com. You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. We are back on Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly, and my guest today is Cindy Warren, who is talking with us about the eight limbs of spiritual yoga practice based on her book, Radiate. But before we continue, um, I just want to make sure, Cindy, that everyone knows how to contact you to find out about your books and your yoga training and all that good stuff. Great. So my website is yoga eight, like the number eight, yoga eight book.com. And my book radiate by Cindy Warren is on Amazon. And I am also on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Cindy Warren, that's Cindy with an S. And I love connecting with anyone who wants to talk yoga. Awesome. And it is fun to talk yoga. I was really excited to see this book. And it's not a long book. It took me only a couple hours to read. And I think that's what we need is just things, something accessible that starts a dialogue. And it, it was very thought provoking for me, too. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, talking about the book, who did you design this book for? Practitioners of yoga that don't know there's more than the physical practice. Um, also mm-hmm. for yogis who know there's more and want to learn more in an accessible way. It's almost like a philosophy for non-philosophers. Um, and also that. people that keep hearing about yoga and are curious about it and think, oh, I have to be flexible or I have to be this or that. And I wanted to debunk that myth as well. Awesome. Because that is, I, I mean, my partner, he is, <laughs> he's the least flexible person ever. And for a while he hated yoga and just refused to do it because he felt embarrassed going out in public. And then everyone seeing that he couldn't even like do downward dog. And eventually he, a, he started practicing, which was really cool and got a little bit more flexible, but B, he realized like it didn't matter because it, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, anyone who's going to make fun of you for not being flexible at yoga class, again, that kind of goes against the whole point of why we're doing this. Absolutely. It's not a competition or a show off. And the, the more inflexible you are, 
the more reason you have to do yoga. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's everything. It's like life, though. You know, we're always trying to overcome obstacles and better ourselves. And if we don't try, then we'll never actually know. Like, success is built off the back of failure is what I always tell myself. <laughs> oh, I like that. Absolutely. So I want to ask you, um, these eight limbs of yoga, we know asanas, that's the most common one. But I would love for you to share with us a little bit about what are other seven limbs and how how do they play in to people's potential yoga practices in the future absolutely the first of the eight limbs is called the yamas which means so excuse me the yamas are ethical constraints there are five of them and they really relate to how we operate in the world and the second, and I'll, I'll talk more about the yamas, but first let me lay out the second of the eight limbs is called niyamas. And okay. similarly, there are five ethical constraints, but these constraints concern themselves with our relationship to ourselves. So okay. for example, um, the main ethical tenet of all of yoga is called ahimsa, which means nonviolence or non-harming. And that's yama number one. And the idea is that this ideal underlies everything in the yoga practice, mm. all of the other yamas, all of the niyamas, and everything else. So it really requires the practitioner to have a deeper understanding of what does that mean to be nonviolent in the world um, or non-harming. It doesn't mean you check the box because you're not a murderer. It yeah. requires a little more insight than that and can even apply. And I talk in the book about how much I think it should apply to how we treat ourselves. Absolutely. Loving. So basically self-love. Self-love is so important. And I think it can be misunderstood. Self-love doesn't mean selfishness. It doesn't no. mean being narcissistic or having a big ego. It's actually, it's actually the opposite of that. It's like having a gentle attitude toward yourself. And I know in my own personal journey, it wasn't until I could really develop that gentle attitude toward myself that I could become better and move away from even destructive patterns and things of that nature. So you were probably a pretty work hard, play hard, Stanford law degree, you know, doing your thing. You were probably put a lot of pressure on yourself, right? And Absolutely. Did, did, did this mindset help you? The mindset of work hard, play hard helped me in my academic and professional life. It didn't help me in my inner life. <laughs> but but and the but the self-love was something you could work on that helped. Yes. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I even really came upon it after I'd been in mm. my yoga practice for a few years. And it was counterintuitive. You know, my my training led me to think. More is more, push more, push yes. harder, yes. be hard on yourself. That's how you will excel and achieve. Mm -hmm. And yoga teaches, uh, sort of turns that paradigm on its head. And I've now come to a point where I'm much kinder to myself. I engage in much more self-care. And if anything, I'm more productive and achieve more. And mm -hmm. how I define those terms has changed a lot as I've gotten older. But yeah, the, the yoga mindset of loving yourself first for the purpose of being of service into the world has really been transformative for me. I think that's such an important message right now, too, because people are very stressed out. Everyone's pushing super hard. And I know it's always like this, but it seems like this year has been a tough year for a lot of people, at least that I know personally. And I also was one of these people that put so much pressure on myself to succeed and, you know, to be the best and all of that, thinking like, I'll love myself when I can just hit every milestone that I think I should have to get to to love myself. And you just get stuck in this vicious cycle. It never ends. It just drains you. I think a lot of people out there could benefit from changing that inner dialogue from one to I'm enough right now and I can be gentle and kind to myself and to everyone right now. Right. So, and the, the irony is that once you adopt that kind of mindset, you go, go so much further than you could have yeah. if you were hating on yourself. Well, because, you know, stress is a killer and it, it creates symptoms in the mind. Chronic stress 
it creates tunnel vision. It creates all kinds of cognitive defects and problems in the way that we process information. <laughs> and it really does make us, I know as a psychologist, I mean, when we can calm down that stress, we see the bigger picture, we make better decisions. Um, we tend to be flying less by the seat of our pants or less by our emotions and more by kind of a grounded awareness of what's actually going on. Absolutely. Um, so the question is, how, how can we use yoga? I know we're going to talk about the other eight limbs too, but I really like this topic. How can we use yoga to enhance that self-love? How does that practice work? Is there meditation that you do? Um, is there other stuff that is part of the yoga itself? Absolutely. There's so many techniques you can do. I'll, I'll give one example. And you can think of this as kind of a mantra-based meditation. Um, meditation is a huge part of the yoga practice. And what it really means in its simplest form is just going in and having a period of reflection. It doesn't mean you still the mind or you have to suddenly feel mm -hmm. like the world is opening up to you and your third eye center is engaged. It, it doesn't have to be all woo-woo. It really is as simple as sit, notice your breath. So as it pertains to self-love, I love the idea of creating a simple mantra such mm -hmm. as I am enough which is something you just referenced, like I am enough. Right That's now. one of my faves, yes. Oh, it's an effective one. And if really you is. take a seat, lengthen your spine, close your eyes, begin to notice your breath, and then inside your head, repeat the mantra so that it's I am as you inhale, enough as you exhale. It's a wonderful way to accomplish a number of things. So you're giving yourself self-love. And if you tell yourself you're enough often enough, you actually will start to believe it. Mm -hmm. You're switching your nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system, otherwise known as rest and digest, which is the antidote to fight or flight, which is where we are when we're under chronic stress. Yes. You oh, I just, I already yeah. feel better. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. It's simple. You're, it does you're so much. You hear me breathing. I, I've, I've never heard the breathe in with the I am and the release with the enough. That actually makes it really, it feels really good. Thank you. It does. It does. Thank you. Sorry, I interrupted you there, though. I think no, not at something. all. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I wonder too, and this is something we'll talk about um, after we come back from the break a little bit more, but you just reminded me from doing that, the, the power of the breath and the power of the breath in yoga as it's linked to the body. Now, is that part of the asana or is that part of something else? Yes. And I'll explain. Okay. <laughs> breath works in tandem with asana or the physical practice. But breath control, which is called pranayama in Sanskrit, is also an entire limb. So it stands uh -huh. on its own as well. I've actually done pranayama like classes. One of my, my friend who's staying with me right now, he used to teach them, and I would go all the time. And um, th there is a lot of interesting stuff with pranayama. I mean, you can literally get so high, you can leave your body. You can have all kinds of crazy experiences and hallucinations. And it makes you just, or you can just feel really relaxed. Yes, you know? yeah. There are um, techniques. So do you do some of these techniques in your practice? I do. I usually, so first, when it comes to the physical practice, the thing that sets yoga apart from any other form of movement is the breath work. So you cultivate a certain kind of breath, typically called ujjayi, and it's a heat building breath that also draws the focus inward because yoga is an internal experience. Ideally, we're doing it in community or in a community setting, but it's, it's a way of going inward and the breath helps draw us in. So when we move through the practice, we coordinate our movements with our breath. For example, inhale, step your foot forward, exhale, plant your hands, downward facing dog, etc. But, but I also do breath work as either right before or right after my meditation, my daily meditation practice. I'll do a little bit of pranayama. Awesome. Well, we'll talk more about this after the break. Um, and I want to hear about the other limbs. We've talked about three of them so far. So stick with us here on Lucid Planet Radio. And when we come back, Sydney Warren is going to share with us the rest of the limbs of yoga and how to incorporate the spiritual side into your daily practice. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
Your money is your creational energy. When you feed your wealth back into what you love, it signals your choices and returns to you. Tune in to Money Momentum with host Karen Baines and learn the truth about the widely misunderstood creative energy that is the cash in your pocket. Realign the things you can't see to get the results you can see. Listen every month for a whole new hour on how to get the money already aligned to who you are. For more information on Karen and Money Momentum, visit soulwhispers.uk. Dream on, lie high, and live adventurously on The Laura Meeks Show. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio as host Laura Meeks guides you in finding your unique gifts and bringing them to life. As a certified life coach, speaker, and veteran bomber pilot for the U.S. Air Force, Laura knows how to follow a dream. She is ready to support you so you can dream on, fly high, and live adventurously. For more information on Laura and her work, visit flyhighliving.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on transformationtalkradio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit burnbrighttoday.com. To see your life from an angel's perspective, book a personal consultation with Claire Candy Hoff, angelic walk-in angel Ariel at Angel Healing House. Candy provides intuitive counseling, Reiki, and angel readings in person in Los Angeles or nationally and internationally via phone or Skype. She will channel the practical tools you need to transform your life. Call now, 831-277-3716 or visit angelhealinghouse.com. Darcy Pariso is your connection to spirit, energy, and healing. You can meet Darcy in person at upcoming events throughout Seattle. Do you have questions about your animal companions, yourself, or do you desire to communicate with loved ones on the other side? Darcy will connect you and get answers. Darcy can also work with energy healing to help you and your animal companions feel more balanced and recharged. Visit DarcyPariso.com events. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. All right, we are back on Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly, and I have author, lawyer, and yogi Cindy Warren here on the show talking with us about the spiritual side of yoga and more. Um, Cindy, when we left, we were talking about pranayama and the importance of breath and really how that makes yoga very unique from other exercise forms, if we can say that, because there's this whole other side that's happening um, in our nervous system and in our subconscious that's kind of changing the way our body feels and self-regulates. Uh, and I'm wondering, um, the other limbs, do they also pertain to kind of these elements of yoga that exist far beyond just the body? Absolutely. The So we've now covered four, actually, yamas, niyamas, asana, pranayama. And then the last four are really, um, more even pertain more so to the internal experience. So the next limb is called pratyahara, which means sensory withdrawal. I think Mm -hmm. this is the least known of the limbs. And to me, it's the most interesting, especially for modern yogis. It really means taking yourself out of the external stimulus that surrounds us constantly, whether it's what we see with our eyes, what we hear, what we're seeing either on Instagram or on CNN or whatever it is, and going inward. So it doesn't mean meditation per se. Um, It really means just drawing yourself inward. I mean, meditation is one way to practice pratyahara. But so is taking a break, sitting on a chair with your favorite pet and doing nothing, which mm. is really kind of antithetical to our go, go, go society. 
It is. Well, when we talk about stimulation, I think that's the most interesting part because we are chronically overstimulated as a society and particularly our younger generations. I feel old saying it, but I mean, <laughs> I'm still technically a millennial, but my gosh, the amount of time spent on with a, with a screen in your face, that blue light from the screen affects your brain and it stimulates you and it wakes you up. And so one thing that I've really learned for myself on the topic of Pratyahara is turning off the screen and the phone before I go to sleep and just like sitting there and not looking and at that's anything. Not, yeah, that's amazing. And it's not an easy thing to do. I am raising a teenage daughter as we speak. And boy, it's like <laughs> I can tell her the science and talk about the philosophy. And it's really hard to get these kids and even ourselves to implement a break from the screens, but you're absolutely right. Like a social media detox would be a wonderful modern example of Pratyahara. Yes, I love it. So it's so interesting how a lot of these ideas almost, they're even more relevant now than when they were written. Exactly. That's what I think. I think we need them more (laughs) now than the ancient yogis in India did. Yeah. Almost like they were just aliens who could time travel and they knew we would need them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so this, this is a hard one though, because even when people are doing yoga, if you're doing it in like the super intense, like physical way, you know, yeah. then it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're very much still aware of all the stimuli around you and kind Absolutely. of, so that this is a, this is a real tough one. I mean, aside from turning off your phone before you go to bed, what else can you really do? Um, what are some other examples maybe for people? I mean, we have meditation, breathing, um, like yeah, walking I'll, in nature. Is that a good one? I think that's a lovely one. Walking in nature is great. I actually had someone in my life suggest to me that I find a few minutes a day and sit there and do nothing. (laughs) And I didn't know what she meant. I was like, do you mean I should meditate? Because I know how to do that. But not like watching TV. That doesn't count. That's not doing nothing. No, it was literally sit down and do nothing. And I did this for a few weeks. And it was so hard at first. It almost was like, I felt awkward, like, what am I doing? Like, if someone could see me, I look like an idiot. But what I ended up finding was just from giving myself a little break from the sensory overload that I'm surrounded by, I really went back to my day feeling refreshed, rejuvenated. And yeah, that's Pratyahara. That's awesome. And you know, the popularity of sensory deprivation tanks that literally no one was using, and now there's five of them even where I live. Um, that's becoming hugely popular because again, there, there's a science behind this and you know what, on a broader scale, there's a science behind everything that you've said so far. There really is. Actually, they knew what they were doing when they wrote, can you tell me how long ago these ancient yoga sutras were written? Does anybody know? Are they like 5,000 years old? Yeah, it's about 5,000, give or take several hundred. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, the history is a little elusive, but yeah, it's about that. And it's so interesting to me that human nature is human nature because what Patanjali spoke to in the yoga sutras fits us, if not just as much, perhaps as we said, even more so than it did for the ancient yogis. See, it just makes you wonder because were they, did they have some kind of knowledge that we you know, have forgotten since or did they just practice it for so long that they saw the results experientially and so they the wrote rat- it down? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was absolutely a how can I get control of my mind? How can I calm myself down? It was such an internal experiential way of life that then got transmitted from teacher to student who became teacher to the next student and so on and so forth. And for many, many, many years, nothing was written down. It was an oral tradition to begin with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also through learning the behaviors, right? Learning the postures and learning the breathwork techniques. and Exactly. You know, I think it's really incredible because this we need we need this right now. And in a way, I love the fact that society is starting to embrace a lot of these concepts more like sensory deprivation tanks and breath work and pranayama and meditation and and, and yoga. Um, It's just important to, you know, be be conscious and present about why we're doing this and not lose sight of the message. I think that is the most important part. 
But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so interesting, so fascinating. What are the last, uh, how many do we have left? Three, two? Yeah, we've got three left. Three left. All right, let's hear it. I want to so see if it fits into this model of actually scientifically good for you. I oh, it, it so does. Okay, so the next <laughs> one, it's going to get even more interesting, Dr. Kelly, is dharana, it's called, and it means concentration. It's mm. really the first stage of meditation. So as you can see, as you start to go from just the series of the limbs, this is even more inward than pratyahara. It's put your focus on something, whether it's the glow of a candle, um, the base of a tree, a mantra in your mind, put your focus on something and now keep your focus there. Mm -hmm. So it's really the opposite of multitasking. Again. Yeah. Another thing the science is catching up with, how it is. multitasking is so ineffective for what we're trying to supposedly accomplish. Uh, I used to say I was a really good multitasker, and then I did start to read a lot of the research papers coming out saying that people who are multitaskers actually don't get anything done well. <laughs> and yes, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> All right, right, focus. Well, you, we're like ADD world, you know, so much yes. stimulation, no one can focus. Everyone's on stimulants to try to focus, which right. can ultimately make you less focused, depending on how you're using them. Yeah, that's <sighs> so true. That's so it true. Is. So this is... I mean, in some ways, these ideas can sound kind of esoteric or philosophical, especially because they're in Sanskrit, but it's just, <laughs> it couldn't be more simple. Put yeah. your mind on something and keep it there. Keep it and there. And then when it wanders, because it will, because that's how the mind works, just gently bring it back and start gently again. Bring it back, yep, and start again. I know a lot of people are very afraid of meditation. I was one of them uh, years and years ago before I really knew what it was. I said, I can't sit still like that. I can't meditate. Uh, yeah. freaked me out because I didn't like the idea of like having just to sit there, <laughs> you know, right. but gosh, it's been such a great thing. I'm, I'm so glad that I, I finally did it because actually people who are very fast, like multitaskers and people who are moving and doing a lot, they actually are very good at meditating. Right. It's just that they never try. But once you right. try, you might find you're very good at it. It's actually very satisfying and calming to focus on something and to relax. It feels good. <laughs> I think it does feel good, especially if you take the pressure off of, oh, my mind wandered or I I'm run my to-do list is running through my head. So that means I stink at meditation and I can't meditate. Once you move away from that kind of thinking, which is false, it really can be a very interesting enjoyable experience. Yeah, that's good. So, and, and then from there you can do all kinds of mantras and you can do all kinds of other types of meditation and that's another show, <laughs> but yes. there's so many different types of meditation, but I understand the idea of, so Dharana, it's the idea of if you're doing something, you're going to completely focus in on, on what you're doing and be fully present. Yeah. You might find it while you're gardening or whatever, yeah. whatever you're favorite pastime is. So that's, yeah. that's darn not really the beginning stage of meditation. Beginning stage of meditation. All right. What are the last two? So the next one is Diana, which literally translates as meditation. So here, <laughs> you know, we could, t I could talk all day about this, but as you said, yeah. there, there is a plethora, there are a plethora of meditation techniques, everything from mindfulness meditation, which is simply follow the breath mantra based meditation, which is similar. You're following a mantra. Uh, there are different mm. phrases you could say inside your head for different purposes, um, like compassion-based meditation, which is called yes. metta. And as yoga practitioners, we should learn whatever techniques speak to us and have a lot of techniques in our tool belt. So when you teach classes, do you incorporate some of this into your classes sometime, like at the start or the end of class? I do. I also teach public meditation classes. Um, those happen less frequently than the yoga classes, and they're definitely less popular. I think, as you said, it's sort of scary for people to think I need to go sit and do nothing. Um, but I sprinkle in bits of meditation, moments of quiet, little drips and drops of philosophy, whether it's yamas, niyamas, or wh whatever, whatever it is in the yoga practice, because I, mm -hmm. I think it's more accessible for people that way. So before, since you mentioned the yamas and niyamas, before we get to the last limb, if you had to pick what one of the yamas and one of the niyamas to really focus on, which one would you pick? So 
I spent some time talking about ahimsa, and I do think that's the most important of all the yamas and niyamas. Mm-hmm. But one of the niyamas that really speaks to me and I think is such an important of the journey is called spadhyaya, uh-huh. and it means self-study. Uh-huh. So there's a part of the yoga practice where we become observers to our own internal experiences Mm. And, you know, for example, we were talking earlier as it relates to Ahimsa about the way we talk to ourselves in our heads. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even know how they talk to themselves in their heads. So Svadhyaya asks us to reflect, to observe, to be the witness. Uh, I was just going to say Ram Das when he talks about being the witness. That is exactly yes. what that made me think of. Yes. And that's yes. It, it all ties together. It's okay. First, just Take a seat, close your eyes. What's happening in between your ears? There's a running dialogue there you may not have been aware of before. Mm-hmm. So also, even on the yoga mat, can you notice what gets you reactive? Is it a pose that's held too long or a song you don't like or a temperature of the room that's not your ideal? Notice that. And then from there, we can learn to make skillful choice and not be so enslaved by our reactions or emotions. That is so, that is just, it's very liberating, isn't it? Yes, it, because it really turns out that you're in control of your happiness. You're in control of your fulfillment. There are a lot of steps you need to take to get that control, but they're there for the taking. You know what's really interesting about all of everything that you shared? These sound like things that people could do even if they don't go to a yoga studio and do yoga. A hundred percent. And that's something that I really wanted to convey to people, which is you don't have to go to a yoga studio ever and you can still practice yoga. And here are some really accessible ways how. Hmm. It's not about bending yourself all in a pretzel necessarily. As much as I enjoy that sometimes. That's not what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's, these are a lot of really good just tips for kind of mental health and physical health and spiritual health. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that we have the ability to do these things. You know, we can be a witness. We can love ourselves. We can calm down. We can concentrate. We can turn off the phone and the screen, you know. Exactly. And I think it's helpful to just have, you know, someone to turn to to say, okay, now now what do I do? What are some simple steps? Can you break it down? Can you make it easy? Give me a little to-do thing here. Yeah, and this book is perfect for that. I think it's really functional in that way, so... I I love it. Thank you. Um, Okay, so we got to talk about samadhi. Yes. So the final limb samadhi translates as enlightenment, which sounds pretty heady and inaccessible. Very heady buzzword, samadhi and enlightenment. (laughs) Very. You know, there are definitely yoga teachers who will say, you're never going to get samadhi. Like samadhi is not what normal people find. Nobody walking around is enlightened. And I actually take a slightly different take on it in the book. I think of samadhi as something that those of us that are engaged in any kind of spiritual or contemplative practice can touch into for a little glimpse here or there if we're lucky. So I don't walk around in samadhi in any sense (laughs) of the word. But have I felt little glimpses of it? I think I have. And the way I really think of it is captured by this beautiful quote by the ancient thinker Rumi. Who, mm. And Rumi says, we are not a drop in the ocean. We are the entire ocean in a drop. Yeah. So it speaks to this so idea nice. that there's something that connects all of us. And can you tap into that sense of connection, even among the diversity? And you mentioned earlier in the show, Dr. Kelly, about what a stressful time it is in modern life, political life, political discourse. You didn't mention that, but I'm sort of making that tie. Oh, well, that's, yeah, it's all part of it. Absolutely. It's all part of it. And if you think that, wait a minute, there really is something that connects all of us and all living beings. Can you feel into that? It sometimes seems like impossible, Mm -hmm. but- it's there. I think that's samadhi. Yeah. I love that analogy. I think that's actually really on point. It doesn't have to be that you're the Buddha walking around, you know, or you're in a cloud somewhere (laughs) meditating, you know, and I think you're, I think it's important to draw that parallel that this is not a, this is not religious or dogma. This is inclusive. Exactly. 
you know, because I think sometimes people think when you're talking about spirituality or especially because we're using words like samadhi and these are these Sanskrit sutras that this is somehow a religious thing, but it's really not. No, I think yoga accommodates any religious belief and it also accommodates a complete lack of any religious belief. Yeah. Uh, and that and that's what we need right now when we're talking about being able to connect to this like higher consciousness that we all share as living beings on the planet in this time of turmoil and stress like what we need is is something that unites us that doesn't divide us right and exactly. I definitely agree that all of these beliefs and ideas that you've put forward are essential for us maintaining our mental health and our well-being and our connections with people and to feel happy and balanced and do the most for the world so I really appreciate you sharing this. We only have a few minutes left. Um, I'm wondering, well, why don't I just ask you this? You know, what has been the greatest benefit to practicing yoga as well as the spiritual parts of yoga in your own life? Part of it is definitely the connection I've made with other people. I feel like I've created very deep connections and friendships um, with people who walk this path with me. In whatever yeah. capacity they walk it, whether it's the physical practice or meditation or reading and talking about yoga-related books, that's been something that's made my life really special. And then if I think about the more inward journey, I know that I have become a less reactive, more loving person first mm -hmm. to myself, and that's enabled me to bring that to all my relationships. And I think that has been transformative for me, especially growing up as a type A achievement oriented, go, go, go kind of person. Um, the softening that yoga has given me has made my life. And I think the life of the people I live with a lot more pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I completely feel that. I, I think that there's a lot of good things in here that everybody can benefit from. And that's definitely one of them because we don't want to go through life being reactive and hard. We want to be soft and loving. We just have, a, there's just a lot going on, a lot of stimulation to work through, but the ideas in this book radiate by Cindy Warren can really help you kind of get control of your mind and start to get control over the way that you react and the way that you act, which will change the course of your life basically. Um, so on that note, um, that's all we have time for today. Cindy, thank you so much. Dr. Kelly, it's been such an honor. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely to have you on the show. I had a wonderful time. And remember, Lisa Planet Radio is on first Wednesday of every month at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can find us on lisaplanetradio.com. Light and love. I hope this has helped you guys. And, you know, let's all integrate these practices as we move forward. And um, wishing everyone a fantastic fall. Take care. You've been listening to the hit show, Lucid Planet Radio, with renowned psychologist and author, Dr. Kelly Neff. Tune in as we illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. This hit show will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake up to the greatest version of yourself. Learn how to navigate the global shift of consciousness as you explore the deeper knowledge, passion, and purpose within. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for upcoming show topics and to contact Dr. Kelly. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. You've just heard an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit TransformationTalkRadio.com.